But uh, yeah, thank you once again. Um, yesterday, was a very, this morning was a very special day. Uh, we had um, this, the headmaster from the school come speak to us, and I just want to fill in a little bit uh, on um, what is going on here. Um, this gymnasium in a year's time will not be a home anymore. They're building another complete new building behind here uh, with a brand new gymnasium, um, classrooms, uh, uh, nice kitchen and everything, and it's going to be four times the size of this. So that's going to be our new home, and we're going to move in there with, uh, with the school. And just a bit of a history of our um, journey with the school and with the church um, for some of you new people. Uh, Deborah and I arrived here in 1997, 1st of March, and um, from South Africa, uh, didn't know one Christian in the city, and, but God had called us to Canada, and we found this beautiful place called Nanaimo and planted a church, uh, just with my family. The first few months were just me preaching to my three kids and my wife. Uh, it was very difficult, a tough, tough uh, congregation for sure, especially if I try to take up an offering and never... Worked out so well. But out of that, Oceanside grew. And uh, in 93, we moved into the school gymnasium. And uh, the stage wasn't here, in fact. It was just the gym like this. And we've been here ever since. And we decided in the early days that we wanted to partner with the school rather than build buildings. And so we've been with the school and we've invested a lot of money uh, into the school in upgrades and helping them rather than a building fund. One of the things we invested in was the stage. Um, the gym would finish here, and as we grew, and our morning services are really full right to the back, um, and I'm so pleased to see the services growing too. But uh, at one stage, uh, the worship team was down here and, I, um, and moving out, and there was literally just a podium between me and the worship team. It was that close. And uh, I was just saying, Lord, we need to... We need some more space. I don't know what we do. And it just dropped in my mind to um, blow out the back wall. I felt God say, drop that in my heart. Just blow out the back wall and build a stage. Well, I thought all that would take was a sawzall and a few of the guys in the church and we could do it. But uh, after getting involved with the city and code and all of that, uh, $250,000 later, we have this beautiful stage that we couldn't have done without. And the school has used... And so one of the questions was, as a leadership, is so how do we invest this money in a building that we don't own? And um, we're looking at ways to do that. And I was praying about it and asking God what we should do. Um, We um, we have a lawyer in our church. He said, we've got to be careful that we protect ourselves in the church. And while I was praying, I felt God say this to me. If you think Oceanside Church, you've got to protect yourself really well, Uh, because um, this is an asset for you. But if you think kingdom, I own the school and I own the church. So really, it's one one unit in the kingdom. And so that changed the way that we looked at it. And so we felt in God that we would um, uh, raise the funds and build the stage with no expectation other than to bless the school with the stage. And when we did that, something amazing happened. Um, uh, school board and all of that, they, they spoke about it, and we got a letter back saying they were really grateful, but that they would give us 10 years free rental. 
see our God, the mutual blessing. So we have that. And then since then, we've done other upgrades with them. And there's always been some kind of reciprocal uh, rental agreement uh, that we haven't um, asked for, but has been offered. So having said that, the next stage out here uh, is going to be amazing. As the school is full, uh, broomful, um, many more people are wanting to get the school. And this school really puts Jesus Christ first. And it's an opportunity for us to sow into the school again. So as a church, we're going to do that, uh, as we have, and we're going to partner with them. And uh, if you think you're rattling around in this, four times bigger is going to be fun. But uh, we trust in God that there'll be increase. Uh, and we don't want to grow this church just to have a big church. We want to grow this church to have a bigger impact in the city uh, through the people that come here. And so um, there's this program going on um, to, to raise funds by the school. And if you go to NCS Nanaimo, uh, you can do a monthly donation, a one-off donation. I really ask you to pray into that. Because uh, the future of this nation is in our young people and our children. And I have five, four and a, five grandchildren. One's only going to be born in two weeks, but uh, uh, he's on his way. And I look at these ones and I just wonder the kind of world that they're going to face. And the, the foundation, when Jesus says we need to be built on the rock, it starts at an early stage. And so I really want you to get behind this. It's going to be inconvenient for us for a while uh, as um, they start building in a month's time, um, breaking ground, and, uh, but no pain, no gain. Eh? So we're going to, eventually the stage will be taken away. They'll board it up and we'll be back in here. So it's going to be fun. But it's, uh, it's really worth it. So pray about it. Uh, this is an amazing school and... Uh, we see it as a big part of our future. And um, so based on that, I, I thought I'd speak this morning, and Jane spoke uh, so eloquently, the headmaster, that we didn't actually preach, but I wanted to speak on the grace of giving, what that means. And um, whenever we speak of giving, it, to me, it's amazing how we automatically go to the negative. You know, in, in my heart, oh, jeez. God's going to ask me for your money. You know, I'm not, I promise you I'm not going to do that. Um, you know, we'll see what God says about that. But um, it's the opposite. It's the absolute blessing. It's blessing. You see, uh, God says, uh, Jesus said that in, in Matthew, um, where your treasure is, your heart will be. And uh, he spoke a lot about finances, not because he needed finances, because he wanted to capture people's hearts. In fact, a rich young ruler, he turned away um, because he said, listen, you need to sell everything you have and follow me. And he couldn't do that. And so this is about heart. And what finance typifies is your life. So it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing tool because you spend most of your life as an adult trying to earn finances. So when you're giving back in finances, you're giving back part of your life to God. And there's an amazing blessing for doing that. And we'll see that in Scripture as we read um, through tonight. And um, I just pray, like I say, um, we're a church that uh, lives by faith. God provides, sometimes just in time. Sometimes we're on the edge, 
but God always comes through, and we're very gracious for that. 20 years ago, we started this church, and we're still going strong. So um, I just want to speak about grace a little bit. That amazing song we just sang in is actually scripture. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. And if you're ever feeling down and having a bad day, you should read the psalm. It's a psalm uh, of David, and it's Psalm 103. And so write that down and go and meditate on this. And as um, they were singing it, I just opened my, my, my Bible to it. And the other thing is Romans 5 that, that Wesley quoted there. If you know this church well, you know that is one of my most favorite passages. But I've never actually read it in the message translation like he did. And these, um, these, these passages like this encapsulate God's grace. You know, grace is that we undeserving sinners get what we don't deserve. We receive mercy when we come and give our life to Jesus. And grace, the motivation of grace is always love. Grace to others and grace to us. And um, so I want to just read a bit of this. It wasn't my notes, but anyway, it's so wonderful. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord on my soul and forget not his benefits. Now this is the biggest benefit that God could ever give us. That he forgives all our sins and he heals all our diseases. He redeems our life from the pit and crowns the humble or the steadfast with love and mercy. And who satisfies, satisfies you with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Going to down to verse 8 here. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our inequities. Didn't we just sing that? For as far as, far as heaven is above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so does he remove our transgressions from us. What an amazing God. What an amazing grace. And, and without grace, I don't know where I'd be or, or we would be as a community. But we're familiar with God's saving grace because there's different expressions of grace. And I want to touch on three of them uh, briefly. And there's God's saving grace. And that to one of the two scriptures I was going to use was Romans, either Romans 5 or Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10. So where's thanks for that confirmation. It says here, talking of us, uh, from verse 1, Romans 2, verse 1, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work within, uh, within those who are disobedient. All of us lived amongst them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were objects of God's wrath. That's why he sent his son, because if it stopped there, in verse 3, it would be a very sad ending. We'd go here pretty depressed. But, and I love buts in the Bible, when, because it says you were this, but God, and he goes on to, but because of his 
great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. For it was by grace you have been saved. And not only God did save us, but this is what he did. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, forever and ever, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. A good thing to meditate on one day is the kindness of God. God's a kind God. He's a compassionate God. And it goes on here, For it is by grace you are saved through faith, This is not of yourselves. You cannot save yourselves, and you cannot earn your salvation because it is the gift, not a gift. It's the ultimate gift of God where he gave his only son to die for us, to take our sin so we could be forgiven and restored. Not by your works so that no man can boast. For we are God's workmanship. The Hebrew word for that is poema. We're a poem written by God, our life. He knew us before we were born. He knit us together in our mother's wounds. He he just knows us. He's with us. And the amazing thing about the grace and mercy of God, and we'll see that in the sustaining grace, is he never leaves us or forsakes us. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no man can go. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God is asking us, the grace he's extended to us, the way he served us, as much as he loves you, he loves every person outside that door. He loves every person on the streets, every person in jail, every person no matter where they are. He died for them and he loves them and he wants us to extend the grace as he has extended to us to others and to go and be the salt and light in his hands and feet so that others can receive God's grace. And part of my testimony is I was very anti-church, anti-Christianity for a number of reasons and so on, bad experiences. My wife got saved just after we got married and I was not a happy camper because now I was living with a born-again Christian in my house with a big Bible. And, um, but I've, over a period of about two years, and I was angry, and I shoved back at her friends, and people were praying and all of that. I was not nice. I did, just did not have a good view of Christians. And I'm generalizing, but um, some of them that I'd met that had, would, would um, say one thing and do the other, and we've all met people like that. And... Um, and, but looking at my wife's life over the two years before I got saved, and thank God I did. And Deborah and I have now been married 35 years. This, you know, I know I don't look that old, but same why. And I, I equate that to her getting saved and me getting saved two years later and experiencing that love, mercy, and grace. And all God wants us to do is take that, because I'm saying this to say this, is that I was not a happy camper, and I was not happy to be around Christians at that stage. And I thank God people didn't give up on me. 
I thank God people didn't stop praying for me, inviting me, loving me through that time. And don't look at opposition as something to press away from. Just press in. Press in. Love them. Pray for them. And you'll see God do amazing things. Amen? You see, God's saving grace is the ultimate expression of his unconditional love because grace is costly. This cheap, easy grace, not true. Grace cost God the life of his only son on a cross to take us in. It cost God everything. I could imagine giving stuff away to help people, but if somebody said, listen, uh, I need your son to die for these people so that they could live. We need his organs or whatever. I mean, I couldn't imagine even thinking of that. I have no idea how God, the Father in heaven, stood back as we crucified our sin, crucified his son. But he did that because of his love, and it's cost God everything. You see, but there's another type of grace, and I want to speak about that. And this is what we don't understand much about, and it's called God's sustaining grace. He's sustaining grace. And before I speak about it, I just want you to imagine one day of your life, one hour of your life, without the grace of God upon you. You see, God's grace is on the righteous and the unrighteous. Without the grace of God, where would we be? Amazing thing. You see, sustaining grace is the Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Life changes quickly. It could be a call. It could be a visit to a doctor. Life can change just like that. And we need God, and we need his grace, his sustaining grace. You see, it's that kind of grace that gives us the power to live out our Christian lives in a godly way. We cannot do it by ourselves. It enables us to overcome our trials and tribulations. It's a grace that enables us to forgive those who have hurt us. Because we begin as we spend time with God and with Jesus in his presence, and if we spend time with him, uh, hopefully on a daily basis, we begin to understand how much he has forgiven us. And when we begin to understand that, how can we not forgive others? Stop trying to forgive other people in your own strength. It's impossible. Go to your Father. Understand his love, mercy, and grace. And as that washes over you, and I tell you, uh, forgiveness uh, to me is not forgetting. I can remember stuff that happened. Forgiveness is when it has no effect on my life anymore. And I begin to have compassion for those people because I can see the reason why they were going through what they were going through. And God wants to take us to that place where we can forgive because we have been forgiven. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those 
who trespass against us. And unforgiveness just dries up our wells. It steals our joy. It does so many things. And to just let go. And I like to say, I want to tell you, you can say, I'm going to forgive, I'm going to forgive, write it out a hundred times, put it on the fridge, not on your forehead, upside down, so you can see it in the mirror when you're shaving or whatever it is. And you go out the door, you see that person, and all the wheels fell off. You see, it's only in God. It's only in God. It's only pressing into Him that you can do that. And I've seen people so restored, being abused physically, mentally, emotionally. God has set them free, and they've been, going, been able to go back. In the 30 years I've served God, um, or so, 33 years I've served, served God, go back to those people and help them get restored. It's a wonderful thing. It's the most freeing thing we can do because unforgiveness is simply this. It's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. They're oblivious of it most of the time, and it just eats you up. We need to understand that. In Hebrews 4, verse 14, 16, encapsulates sustaining grace. And this is an amazing little passage. And it says that since we have a great high priest who has gone through heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest, said Jesus, who is unable to sympathize in our weakness. Jesus understands. He understands what we're going through. He, he bore our pain. He bore our sin, everything uh, upon him. And because we have one, we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are yet was without sin. There, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. We come into the very throne room. We are invited into the very throne room of God with confidence because of Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of the book of Hebrews. So that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So how does that work? I've messed up. I've had a bad day. Whatever it is, I feel really bad. What is my response? Well, there's two voices in your head. One is a louder voice than the other. That's the enemy. He wants to trash talk you. Say, you're no good. What, look what you've done. You've done it again and again and again. And that voice will always draw you away from God. Away from church, away from everything you think you've messed up to. You have never messed up too much for God. You have never messed up a good. The other voice is the Holy Spirit. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. The voice that caused you to run away, that is the enemy. You need to know that. It's as clear as that. God always draws us back. He always draws us back because Jesus Christ has already paid the price for you, your sin, Past, present, and future. So we come to the throne. We approach the throne of grace, by grace. In other words, through Jesus Christ, through what he did. We come, and we come to the throne of our Father, and we receive mercy. Now, what is mercy? Mercy is we get what we don't deserve. 
If I am in go before a judge and I've done something really wrong, and I said, Judge, have mercy on me, he says, Okay, I'm going to let you free. That is mercy. I deserved judgment. We deserve judgment, but we don't receive it when we come. We receive mercy. And when we receive mercy, and that is washed away from us, we walk out and we find more grace to help us in our time of need. So that's a daily walk. And that's why it's so important that we spend time with God daily. Because it's like having, going running through the bush and through the mud, and you come and you're full of mud and grime and you're feeling terrible, and you go and you say, I'm too terrible and too dirty to shower. I'm not going to shower because I just look terrible and all of that. I'm going to walk around like this. And it's like with our sin. We're walking around with this stuff all the time. And you know, you just go and have a good shower and it washes all away. And uh, you, you come out of there and you feel fresh. That's the kind of thing where, where we come into his, into his throne room. We ask for forgiveness. Now, forgiveness isn't for God's benefit. Forgiveness is for our benefit because it cleanses us, Hebrews 10 says, from a guilty conscience. And a guilty conscience is what keeps us from approaching God. And we need that cleansed. And when he cleanses us and we come through, he gives us more grace for the next day to sustain us when things go wrong. You know, Isaiah 43 is an amazing passage where he says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you, and I have summoned you by name. You are not here by accident. Whether you're listening or not, God has summoned you and chosen you. It's up to you whether you want to respond to that or not, because God is a God of love, mercy, and grace, and free will. And people ask you, why does God give you a free will? Well, he's a, it's a relationship of love. And if I married my wife and put a gun to her head and said, you better marry me, and I mean, she's more than likely going to say yes because she's going to die, and she comes home and, and I threaten her the whole time, that is called abuse, absolute abuse. So God would never violate your free will because that would be a abuse. He gives you a free will, and he makes it everything possible for us to receive Jesus, but he still gives us a choice not to. Isn't that amazing? He gives us a choice, because he wants a relationship with you. He's a God of love, and he wants you to choose him, not be forced, not be scared into, into heaven by hellfire and brimstone, messages in that, and I do believe in hell, but that's not how God calls us. He woos us into his presence. So I want to uh, encourage you to daily do that. Come to your dad. I don't know why we find it so difficult to do, because it's so much, so refreshing when we do. And he's always there for us. But there's another type of grace, and this is where we're going to finish on. God's giving grace, the grace of giving. And you, know, you can read this in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8 and 9, an amazing passage. 
And I'll just tell you a little bit of about it. Paul is on his third missionary journey. It's been a long time. It's been over a year. You go and look in the maps there. He's been all over the show. Eventually ends up in, in Jer- back in Jer- uh, Jerusalem. And he's just been through uh, Macedonia, which is um, northern Greece today. And the churches in Macedonia are the churches of Philippi, Thessalonians, and Colossae. Those churches... Uh, and, uh, and he's now on his way to Corinth, a church that he planted on his second journey. He's just going to go and uh, see how they're doing. And uh, he's been on this journey in all the churches that he's been to, all over Asia Minor, Macedonia, and so on. He's been collecting an offering for the church in Jerusalem. The, the church in Jerusalem was under tremendous persecution and in fact, uh, uh, really bad times, um, salvation and things, and that was going down uh, in the area, in, in the church. And um, so he's wanting to bring an offering to help them. And on his way, he's just left Philippi, or uh, yeah, the church of Philippi, and he's on his way, and he writes this letter to the church in Corinth. And um, he speaks to them about preparing an offering for the Jerusalem church. And what we see in this passage is that though Paul is speaking of an offering, the dominant theme of this is not money. I want your money. You better give. But the dominant theme of these two chapters on finances is grace and joy, which overflowed into generous giving. So we're going to read a little bit here, and uh, we won't be too long. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1 to 9, And now, brothers, I want you to know, you see this grace, this word grace and joy, so many times, about the grace that God has given The Macedonian churches, those are the churches in northern Greece and uh, Philippi, Colossae, Thessalonica, and so on. And out of their most severe trial, now listen to this, in tremendous trial, their overflowing joy. Joy has nothing to do with circumstance, the joy of the Lord. Happiness, I get a job, I get a promotion, I'm happy. Next day, I get fired, I'm unhappy. And that's how life is. But joy is constant, the joy of the Lord. And it's something that we need to tap into. And that's a whole other message that we'll get to one of these days. And the extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able. These extremely poor people even beyond the ability, entirely on their own. They were not compelled to give. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege in sharing this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expect. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. You see, grace, grace, grace. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, 
in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you. I'm not commanding you either. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you might through his poverty become rich. What Paul is saying is that the Macedonian Christians proved their faith was real by their actions in spite of trials and tribulations. We see that in verse 2. We read that out of most severe trial, overflowing joy, and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So how do we explain this kind of joy and generosity in the midst of tremendous trials? You might be going through tremendous trials now. How do we explain this? Well, the answer is in verse 5, I believe. They gave themselves to the Lord first. First to the Lord. In other words, they were so grateful for God's saving grace, for saving them, for setting them free, for calling them out of the bondage that they were in, that it filled them with absolute joy and generosity, supernatural joy and supernatural generosity. You see, they understood that because of God's saving grace, that as undeserving sinners had been given the gift of eternal life. And they also understood God's sustaining grace, saving grace that saves us, sustaining grace that keeps us every day. That is, he, that is God who blesses and provides. And what he provides is seed. We're going to see that. And seed is for sowing because without sowing, there'll be no harvest. How many of you have lived on a farm before? A few of you. Food doesn't come from a supermarket. It comes from a seed sow in a farm. <laughs> you see these stories of kids that are uh, they ask him where an egg comes from, and they say a, a plastic box or something. You see, seed is for sowing. And this principle, a cross, is across everything we do for God. If you are lonely, start finding somebody that you can reach out to who is lonely, and you will see what comes back to you. If you feel unloved, start loving people. If you feel whatever it is, come in the opposite spirit to what you feel. Start sowing into people's lives. Start sowing. You see, it's not just about finances. It's about our lives. Nobody loves me. I'm just all on my own and all of that. Yeah, I understand those are terrible places to be. But the way out of it often is to reach out to others and find somebody else that's lonely. And I tell you what, the amazing thing is when you start to reach out, especially if you reach out into areas like the downtown and so on, you begin to become so grateful for what you have. 
so grateful. I used to minister in a jail for many years, and, and before I started in doing that, I absolutely loved it. I had this thing, well, they deserve to be. I tell you, I'm telling you, we are one decision away from making a disaster like those. And some of the lives that they came through, some of the hardship, some of the hurt, some of the pain that they came, it's a wonder they hadn't killed anybody in their life. And I would come out of that and say, God, thank you that I, as a young man, didn't make choices like that. Thank you for saving me from myself often. And it gave me compassion. It was an amazing time. You start going, you lonely. Well, go to old age home. Go and knock on the door there and say, listen, I'm lonely. Are there any old people I can speak to? They will want to clone you. They want you to leave there. We have a lady in our church, managing director of a large home. You speak to her. Lonely, lonely people. Lonely people. Start sowing. Start sowing into your neighborhood, into your neighbors. I'm telling you, you will see things change in your life because we'll give you sometimes a, a little window into other people's lives. And you're all those big fancy houses up there made out of wooden cardboard that we all live in. Broken people behind them. They're looking for love. And we are called to do that. Ask God in your workplace, wherever you are, look for the ones that are not are on the outside. You ever been one of those? Didn't fit? Find others like that. You'll see such a radical change. Sowing. But in this context here, it is about finances, but the principle is eternal and spiritual. And it says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 11. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. That's obvious to a farmer. I've got all this corn that I want to, all these fields want to plant with corn, but I'm only going to use one cob because I'm going to eat all the rest. You've got like a hundred seeds there, and you come out and in the fall you're shocked that you haven't got 500 acres of corn. These are obvious things. And then the Bible says, first the natural, then the spiritual. And that's in every area of our lives. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Remember we spoke about not reluctantly or under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times you will have more than you need and you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, that's important. God gives us seed and he expects us to sow it. Obviously, uh, he, he blesses us beyond just our sowing. But interesting, 
that what he provides us is seed. And I tell you, no matter how rich we are, we think we're doing well off, but that is just seed. Imagine, imagine if we really started trusting God, trusting God with our finances, trusting God with our tithes, trusting God, really trusting God in these areas. I'm telling you, he would open the floodgates in our lives. And he says this, that you'll be rich in every way, not only financially, so that you can be generous on every occasion, and so all through your generosity will result in thanks giving to God. Church, the person, purpose I want to bless you is so that you can be generous. That's why I want to do it. With your life, with your finances, with your time, oh, you want you to be generous because when you are generous to others, it results in thanksgiving to God. When you go and help somebody, they know they can't help themselves. You're the, the old person next door that's lawn is never cut, and we're moaning about it because they never cut their lawn. When you go over there and you just cut that lawn, I'm telling you, it can change your life. I might think you're a bit weird initially. But I'm telling you, just a little thing like that can change your life. You see, these, this, these churches understood that God is the giver of all things. He can switch the tap on and he can switch it off. Just as quickly, just to get our attention sometimes. But God is the giver of all things. He gives in the planting. He gives us seed for us to plant in people's lives. But he also gives in an abundant harvest. And they also understood this. The harvest depended on two things. The amount of seed sown and the providence and the grace of God. That's it. It's not about God needs your money. It's about God wants your heart. And when we sow, that's what happens. It opens flood days. Now remember, there's a time for planting and there's a time for reaping. And Deborah and I have seen this in our lives over and over again. We've planted and we've been through dry times. And we've thought it need, we've needed the providence of God on our lives. But when we really need it, God comes through. And don't equate it just to bucks in the pocket. I tell you, we, we cheapen life to money. The principal of the school, please pray for him, his son has been um, diagnosed with lymphoma. An amazing guy, an amazing young man. I mean, incredible kid. I promise you, if I offered him a million bucks or his son healed, It wouldn't even be a question. God blesses us 
beyond. That's the sustaining grace daily. When we go like this, it's because of the grace of God. The very grace we have. And so if we can bow our heads for a little moment. I want to thank you for coming out. Pray that you'll just ponder these things in your heart. I pray that this church will be known for generosity beyond. Not just financially, but the city will know we love them. Our co-workers, those random acts of kindness, will bless them and create an atmosphere in their life where the Holy Spirit can begin to plant seed in their hearts so that they one day will give glory to God just as we have. So Father God, I thank you for this amazing community. I thank you for every single one here, Lord. I pray your blessing upon their lives. Lord, I know many are going through trials, but the beautiful thing is we don't go through them alone. You're with us. You never leave us or forsake us. And Lord, I pray that this week each one of us will open our hands and open our hearts, Lord, to to look around at where we can sow life, even to brothers and sisters in Christ that are struggling, or work colleagues, or people downtown. I pray, Lord God, that we will truly be what you've called us to be, is your hands and your feet. I thank you for that in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.